0: I feel like there is no excuse for this practice to still be the practice, and just because something's been done a certain way, always, doesn't mean that that's the correct way. And it really grinds my gears. (laughs) It's one of those things that winds me up all the time.
1: We're always talking about change in journalism, but some things never seem to change, especially when it comes to paying freelancers on time. I'm Michael O'Connell. This is It's All Journalism. Punta Van Tejeden is a UK-based journalist, ghostwriter, and editor. After a decade of writing, commissioning, and editing across the biggest women's weekly magazines and newspapers in Britain, Punta is launching a new digital platform in January to fill a gap she sees and loathes in the media. Welcome to the podcast, Punta.
0: Thank you. Hi, Michael. Thanks for having me.
1: So since you've listened to the podcast before, you probably know where we're going to start, which is tell me about your journalist journey. How did you become a journalist?
0: Well, I think it was a a few things happened at the same time, kind of the stars aligned a bit. Initially, I'd applied to university to study physiotherapy because even though I really wanted to be a writer, I'd been kind of put off a bit. People had been telling me, you know, it's really competitive. You don't know anybody in the industry. You know, what if you do all the studying and you don't get a job? And so I went down the physio track. And then two weeks before my course began, I decided to do some work experience at a hospital. And all day long, all I could think was, I don't want to spend the rest of my life wearing a, a tracksuit and trainers. I just, I don't want that life. It seems so, you know, vain almost, but I just realized it wasn't what I wanted. And so I switched out my course at the last minute and got onto a, a writing and journalism one. And that kind of started my journey. That was the first thing that kind of aligned for me.
1: So you've primarily been writing and editing in uh, women's weekly magazines. What, what is that like in the UK?
0: Oh, it's uh, quite an interesting end of the business to be in where, you know, everything you're dealing with is true life. So it's, you know, real people with real stories and you hear the most bonkers true life tales. But you get to talk to people who have really interesting things to say and they've been through something very dramatic or heartbreaking or inspiring. And every person that you talk to is just really worth talking to. And it's it's been great. It's been fun. It's been emotional. The people that I've worked with on all the magazines as well have been great. They're a really fun bunch. So, you know, it's a quite a nice end of the industry to work in in the UK. It's quite different to
1: newspapers. You know, What experiences or assignments that sort of stand out for you in the work that you've done for the magazines?
0: You know, there were campaigns that we led on the magazine that I worked for for a long time. It's the biggest selling Women's Weekly, and it's been around for nearly 30 years. It's called Take a Break magazine, and we led campaigns to you know, lower the screening age of cervical cancer screenings in the UK because women under 25 were dying because they didn't qualify in in England for that screening. So there was, you know, really important campaigns we did. We'd done lots of, you know, charity things like raising lots and lots of money for Great Ormond Street Hospital. You know, at Christmas, we'd take on a campaign and help a charity or something really worthwhile. And on the other end of the spectrum, we had amazing true life stories. There were certain ones like there was a mum of six who sadly developed cancer. And we followed her story for a number of years, reporting in every few weeks, talking to the family, to the mum, the dad, the children. And, you know, our readers really enjoyed that. And so did we, because you got to kind of get under the skin of a family and everybody loved them. So, you know, stories like that really stay with you.
1: Has your work been primarily, you know, freelance work or are you working on staff?
0: Yeah. I mean, I I started off at a regional news agency in the UK working on a feature desk. I was staffed there for two years and it was my job to um, find amazing stories to sell on to the national newspapers and magazines. So I was staffed there and I freelanced for a very short time after that, just the summer, because I was determined to get onto a magazine and I did. And the magazine that I wanted to work for was that weekly magazine. And I got a job there and I was there for eight years. And then... For the last couple of years, since having having a baby and starting a family, I decided to go freelance. So, I've been freelance in the last couple of years, but very much working in the same arena.
1: Okay, and how would you describe the stories that that you're you're writing? I think you kind of sort of touched on it. They're, you know, people stories. You know, mm-hmm. how would you describe them? And, and you know, how do you how do you find stories?
0: Well, how, how you find the stories is kind of the, <laughs> what you probably call the million dollar question. In the UK, if, if you're a journalist and a freelance, you know, everybody has their own ways of finding them and it's kind of <laughs> like a secret code. You don't tell anyone how you find them because then maybe someone else will go and find them, but you find ways. And for me, it's been networking for a really long time and people come to me with their stories or they hear from a friend of a friend or they might find me via my website or see something that I've written and think, oh, I've got a similar story to that and get in touch. But often I come up with ideas for stories based on, on the news. You know, so there might be, I don't know, like a report out that gaslighting, I don't know if you're familiar with this term in the US, yeah. but yeah. So So, <laughs> <Yes>. in, <laughs> so in the, you know, there'll be a news report about some kind of legislation about gaslighting, and I would come up with a few feature ideas and then set out to find a case study, a true life person who can talk to me about their experience of that because I know that it's going to be topical for the newspapers and magazines are going to be writing reports about it. So I'm very much an ideas-based journalist.
1: Is there any particular type of story that you prefer to write about or, or that you really like writing about?
0: Yeah, I think it's going freelance and not having to, you know, necessarily kind of do what I'm told. I can just pick the stories that I want to write about, and I, I'm veering much more towards, you know, like women's health, but true life is still, you know, my main thing. So it could be anything from a relationship story to a crime story, so many things. But yeah, I'm, I'm personally quite interested in health story and stories and news.
1: And one of the things I want to ask you about this, because this is the first mm. time I've seen this in materials about somebody I've interviewed for the podcast. Uh, you know, one of the things that you, that you do is, is ghost, right? You're a ghostwriter. writer. Yes. Um, yeah. Tell me about that experience. You know, I know that that's a job that some people have and I know yeah. kind of what, Ghostwriters are, you know, how would you fall into this? Mm-hmm. What does a job like that entail?
0: You know, that that was one of the moments in my career where the stars aligned a bit. I think probably lots of journalists feel like, you know, oh, one day I want to write a book, and it's kind of been on my radar. And I thought one day I will, I will do it. But I joined up with Penguin Books in the UK when I was on staff. I was commissioning editor at the magazine, and we ran a competition to find a true life story from one of our readers that was worthy of turning into a best selling book. And we had you know hundreds of manuscripts come through. And I was one of the judges on that panel. There was four of us. There was me and my editor on the magazine and then Penguin, publisher, and one of his editors. So the four of us were looking over all these manuscripts, but it was my job to, first of all, just look them through and see which ones might have potential. And as we went down that road, we did, you know, there was there was one clear winner in the first competition that we did. And her book, this is a lady, Suzanne Lambert, her book was about growing up in an orphanage. It was her true story. And it was really amazing. And the idea had been for me to write the book, but as I interviewed Suzanne, it just became very clear that she was such an amazing writer herself. And I I told Penguin this, and I said, I really feel like she should tell this story. She doesn't need a ghostwriter. She's an amazing storyteller. And so we ran the competition again, and the next time I wrote the winner's book, and that's kind of how it began. And then I wrote a few more books for Penguin ghostwriting like that. And at the moment, I've got some book proposals out. So fingers crossed, there'll be some some new projects on the horizon on that front.
1: So how does that work? Are these uh, books that you get credit on? You know, it's the person's story Mm -hmm. with the help of? Yeah, so
0: the first one I wrote on the front cover, it says the name of the book, which is The Lost Christmas Puppy, and it's by Linda (laughs) (laughs) Stiliou. And it's, you know, it's a deceiving name because it's all about her growing up in the 50s, and it's a really beautiful, nostalgic tale. So to speak. But, you know, on the front, it says Linda Stellier and on the inside cover, it says with Punta Vanta Hayden. And that's how it works. I interviewed her for maybe two hours at a time, twice a week. And I wrote 10,000 words a week for eight weeks and wrote the book in two months, which is the kind of deadline you're working to typically as a ghostwriter. That's um, a pretty
1: good, pretty good clip.
0: Mm hmm. <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's a lot of work <laughs> i was doing that as as well as you know i was editing in the daytime i was on staff on the magazine in the day and coming home at night and writing the book so it was pretty full-on
1: yeah that's pretty amazing so you say that you know since you've had you know a child that you're you're doing more mm-hmm. freelance work what's been your mm-hmm. experience as a freelancer lately i you know I, I always try to get a sense of what's going on in the freelance mm-hmm. market is it still difficult
0: in the uk it's I'm in contact with a lot of freelancers, people that I used to commission, you know, for years and years when I was on the mag or friends, you know, freelancers that have become friends. And, you know, you you develop a support network, so you kind of hear what's going on. My personal experience has been as long as you've got a good story, you'll get commissioned. So it's just about finding those good stories. But, of course, you know, rates are going down. And even from when I started freelancing two years ago that, you know, some of the some of the magazines have dropped 25 percent some of the newspapers are no longer commissioning health features. They want to write it all in-house. Or instead of paying you a decent rate for the feature, they want you to do it on a day shift. So there is this movement, you know, this downward movement, which has kind of been going on for a while. But, yeah, there are times when you can really feel that pinch. And I I don't know exactly how it works in the U.S., but in the U.K., it's pretty much payment on publication. So you'll pitch something, you'll get commissioned, you'll write it, and then the newspaper or the mag might sit on it for six months, you won't get paid for the work that you've done until it's published. Yeah. Which, yeah. you know, it,
1: was, it kind of sucks. I,
0: it it sucks really hard, and I find it just hugely unethical. I, just, I feel like there is no excuse for this practice to still be the practice, and just because something's been done a certain way always doesn't mean that that's the correct way, and it really grinds my gears. <laughs> it's one of those things that... Winds me up all the time.
1: Yeah, no, I hear you. You know, I've freelanced off and on over my career, mm. and I know that you know if you're if you're primarily a free your job is primarily a freelancer. Mm. What you look for, or you know, maybe some good paying gigs that give you a degree of st- stability. Maybe like a, mm. a part time gig where you're doing some editing or something, so at least you have a sense of you know. Well, I know I'm going to get a check from this, you know, once yeah. or twice a month, but you know, relying strictly on you know payment by publication. It's a mugs game, yeah. is what it is.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's the best way to put it. It really is. And, you know, last year I took a maternity cover, do it as features editor, kind of across a real-life content hub in one of the biggest publishers in the UK, editing across five magazines. And, you know, I really loved it, and I did it for the experience and just getting to work in an office again, because obviously freelancing can be, you know, quite a lonely business. And I really enjoyed it, but I realized that I was earning, as a staff, You know, I was earning much, much less than I was capable of making as a freelance, And so, you know, in the evenings, I was having to top up whatever I was earning there with freelance work. And it was exhausting. And I thought I'm much better off if I just freelance and just kind of, you know, work really, really hard. It can be lucrative if you're freelancing. It can be really lucrative. And so, yeah, it does tempt you back in. So, yeah, I'm sticking with freelancing now.
1: Yeah, if you get some good gigs if you're at, if you're able to pitch and sell some stories, you know, and mm. you have some sort of, you know, maybe regular people that you can go to. Yeah. Um, mm. It can be a big deal.
0: Particularly yeah. for me because all the contacts I'd built while being staff, you know, I was I just know everyone. I know all the commissioning editors. I have good relationships with them and I'm really lucky that I work with a whole bunch of editors that I really like and we have a great relationship and they commission me all the time and you know, I know exactly what they want, so that helps. So I you know, the kind of the hit rate of my pitches is quite high. So luckily <laughs> it's, it's okay.
1: <laughs> so you reached out to us about this new platform you're launching called Lacuna Voices. How did you yeah. come up with the name and what, how would you describe it?
0: Yeah. So the platform itself, I, it was over this, this summer, actually earlier this summer, I had a particular week where I was sending out some, what I believe to be really worthy topics and really good pitches. And they just weren't landing like they normally do. I just, I was I was getting lots of no's and I felt the reasons for the no's didn't feel, they just didn't feel right to me. I just felt like there should be a home for this story. There was one story, for instance, about a guy, you know, a professional. He was married, he had two kids and the marriage had broken down and he was experiencing what he was calling parental alienation, where not only has he kind of been pushed out of the family home, separated from his wife, but his children are now cutting him off too. And he was going through this really devastating emotional experience, something that actually happens quite a lot to lots of dads, lots of mums, but particularly dads as well. And I just couldn't find a home for it. And I thought, how can this topic, this issue, which affects so many people and so many people are kind of stuck without anywhere. They can't get any legal help. They're in financial hardship. They're suffering debilitating emotional issues and they can't tell their story, you know, because he was a man there wasn't really very much interest for a story. And I think, unfortunately, in the mainstream media in the UK, the readership and the features are geared towards women, whether it's a newspaper or a magazine, men are kind of sidelined. And so that was already a sticking point on this particular story. And I just felt bummed out at the end of that week that I've had some really good stories this week, things that I believe that if people were able to read it, they would really relate. And perhaps even you know this poor guy could get some help. Maybe some solicitor would come forward and say, I'm going to do this pro bono. I'm going to help you get your house back, get your kids back. But it just hit a dead end. And so I started thinking about, you know, is this a pattern? And it was. And so Lacuna Voices was kind of formed to bridge this gap that I feel exists in that media, in the, in the mainstream media for topics that really matter to a lot of people. And they deserve the column inches, but they don't get it.
1: Is it because the the publications that you're, you're pitching to are more, you know, the audience is is more female that they feel that, that they're not going to maybe maybe be able to relate to what the experience of this man is?
0: Well, I started, first of all, not, not with women's magazines, but the national newspapers and, you know, the men. Sometimes in particular papers, the majority of the readership. So this wasn't just one newspaper that said no. A lot of them were saying this is a great story, but we just can't run it right now. And, you know, that's kind of secret code for we don't want a bloke talking about this topic, or they'd say, you know, we like it, but it's not one we'd commission, meaning if this person had come to us direct, we'd tell it, but we're not going to have oh, a freelance write it for yeah. it. We're not going to pa- pay someone. Yeah. But, you know, I just, and also this chap wanted to remain anonymous, which I think under the circumstances, what he was going through with his ex totally makes sense. However, having commissioned and edited, I don't feel like it takes anything away from the reader to not see that person's face or know their name. You can use stock images. The person once they start reading the story, they're in. The reader is in and committed to reading it. So yeah, I don't, I don't really know if it was just because the readership is is not main, mainly women. You know, newspaper readership is, you know, lots of men read newspapers.
1: And this is actually, you know, you talk about this, and I saw this, you know, on your website where you're talking about this. This this kind of surprised me because I know that, you know, in the United States. I don't know if if you would call it a mm. prejudice or this there's a sort of feeling that, mm. you know, men's stories always get told and, and women's stories don't. Or is it just certain types of stories like, you know, family stories no. or life stories as opposed to like business or sports or whatever?
0: Just my experience across the British media has been that women's stories are preferred. So when I was working for the newspapers, and um, when I was at that regional agency, I would get sent out daily on door knocks. I'd be knocking people's doors when a story had just broken and we needed to get quotes. And they'd always say, get the mum, get the wife, get the sister, get the daughter. Nobody cared. (laughs) Nobody cared. Nobody (laughs) said, go and get the dad, go and get the brother, get the father. They only said that if the woman was dead. If the mother wasn't around anymore and only the dad could speak about this child, something happening to the child. That's the point at which the preference would be on the dad. But they were always kind of gunning for the mum, the woman. That was always a feeling. And it It remains that way.
1: It's weird. Is that like a, mm. is, is it a prejudice? Is it a, is it a cultural thing?
0: It's an old, an old Fleet Street thing. You know, it's an old, you know, yeah. men used to edit the papers, men wrote them. It was, the bias was all men. And I don't know why they thought that we don't want to hear from men. We want to hear from the women. I don't know how this culture developed, but I don't like it. And I don't think it's relevant anymore in a world where all oh, everybody wants, you know, any decent human being wants is just equality. And for people to be accepted for who they are, saying that, well, we'd rather speak to the mum, you know, the mum is the preferred person, but why? The dad is a parent too, right? What's this prejudice? I don't, I don't understand it, and I don't want yeah. it, lacuna voices.
1: It's interesting. Uh, it's something I never quite heard of or, or thought about. So when I saw it on your website, I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. I want to talk to you about this. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, what is lacuna voices going to do? You know, what, what is it?
0: As a platform, I want it to be you know, a collection of voices. It's kind of what it says on the tin. It's voices to fill the gap. So it's all these people who have amazing stories to tell about topics that are worth hearing about. You know, whether we're talking about mental health, physical health, world news, world subjects, parenting, lifestyle, all the things that affect you and I from day to day. You know, for instance, a topic that is one that's particularly close to my heart is endometriosis. One in 10 women suffer it. It's a huge number of women living in crippling pain. And it's one of those topics that it's not sexy enough to get in the newspapers very often. You have to have something really dramatic and over the top and ridiculous to get it in the newspapers or or sometimes the women's magazines, when actually so many women are suffering with this and they want to talk about it. They want to read about it. They want to hear about it. They want to feel like they're part of the media, but they're not given space for it. And that's the kind of topic that Lacuna Voices will be looking at.
1: So, how are you going to present this? Is this sort of like an online magazine, or will you be publishing stuff from other writers?
0: So, I've already had so many freelance writers get in touch with me with their, you know, brilliant ideas, wanting to be commissioned and wanting to be a part of it. Everybody kind of, when I've talked about it in in various journalist groups, people saying this sounds brilliant is exactly what we need. So, there's a lot of excitement and people getting in touch with pitches, and yeah, so there's going to be a lot of content written by me at the outset because. At the moment, I'm a one woman band (laughs) trying to, you know, do this on my own. But I've got a network of really wonderful, talented freelancers who are writing for me as well on various topics. So it will be all told predominantly in the first person. So whether the person speaking is the man on the street or a celebrity or a pop star, whoever it might be talking about the thing that they feel very passionate about, it's going to be told in the first person. And that that's kind of the premise of it.
1: How are you going to be financing this?
0: Well, to talk about how it's going to be financed, I have to tell you a little bit about what I hope this platform will become in this kind of digital age when there's so much clickbait and just fodder that is kind of created by publishers in order to get clicks, get likes, get shares, and drive numbers up that please advertisers. I want Lacuna Voices to be a space where there isn't clickbait. Everything you read is going to be worthy of your time. And in order to do that, I have to curate a certain type of content. I want to pay freelancers decent fees. And going forward, I want freelancers to know that if you get commissioned by Lacuna Voices, you'll be paid on submission of your copy, not when we decide to run it. So in order to do that, I need to have the finance behind it. And at the moment, it's a combination of self-funding. So what the money that I'm making from selling stories to the national press is going back into Lacuna Voices and commissioning. I'm going to be getting corporate sponsors on board. That's the plan. There may be space for advertising, but whoever the corporate sponsors will be, whatever advertising that may appear in the future, it'll only be with brands that align with Lacuna Voices kind of philosophy and ethos. So if the brands don't match, then I'm not going to be getting into bed with them, so to speak.
1: You know, how would you describe the the ethos and the philosophy of Lacuna Voices?
0: I would say there's three main pillars, integrity, candor, and courage. And I want sure. those pillars to inform uh, every decision I make about Lacuna Voices. So everything from the words that are written on my website, not just the features, but everything that you see on it. I want it to be with integrity and I want it to be honest and I want it to be brave. And that's what's going to kind of drive everything forward. Every decision I make is going to be based on those three things because I've experienced, you know, both ends of this industry, working as a freelance, working as staff. And in journalism, as you know, you will be put in situations where you feel morally uncomfortable. And luckily I've been I've been able to keep to my morals. When I've been in a situation that I don't like, I've been strong enough and maybe bullshy enough to just walk away from it. So now with the Lacuna Voices, I'm not going to compromise My integrity, which I hope people that I work with know will know me for. They'll know that I'm always honest. They'll know that I behave with integrity. So that has to really shine through with this.
1: So, have you thought about how you know you're going to be publishing this online? Have you Mm -hmm. thought about how you're going to attract an audience or what your promotion for it is going to be?
0: I think predominantly it's going to be across social media. It seems to be the way to pull in people. So I'm going to be working on obviously like increasing the numbers, and I just hope for organic growth if i have to do you know the promoted posts and things to get it off the ground that's fine and i will will aim to just get as many people reading it as i can but if it means that that takes 2 years instead of 1 that's fine i'm in this for the long game so i'm just hoping that people will see it and talk about it and share it with their friends their mums, their sisters whoever they think is going to be positively impacted by reading something that they've seen on there and also you know i've got a subscription list so people are already signing up even though there's nothing on the website yet they're just kind of liking what it, what it sounds like it's going to be about and you know, hopefully that will help.
1: Who do you see as your audience?
0: Again, it's, it's an interesting question because typically, you know, like on a magazine you say, right, our readership's from 18 to 40, they're female, they work they earn this much money, they like these sorts of things, but with Lacuna Voices we're going to be covering such a wide range of topics. It's, it's kind of hard to say at this point who our readership is going to be, but I'd imagine they're gonna be people who kind of share the values and the ethos that we're we're going by and they want to read about things that matter, you know, not kind of, you know, who's flaunting their curves whilst they're out getting a cappuccino, you know, like that that to me is not news. Seeing that kind of an article just makes me feel a bit irate actually. So it's gonna be people who are sick of that, sick of the mainstream and they've they've got other topics they wanna to read about and hopefully they'll land on Lacuna Voices through I don't know, maybe word of mouth or seeing something shared on social media and think that feels like me. I want to read about that.
1: Do you have at this point in your mind any particular topics that you'd really like to tackle? So there's
0: going to be certain sections of the website. And um, I, I told you about some of them a bit earlier, but, you know, he- health and lacuna men is going to be one particular section all on its own. Parenting, careers, mental well-being, world issues. And I'm kind of at the moment Letting people come to me and tell me what they feel passionate about. I think as long as they feel passionate about it, then that's a topic that I want to hear about. And, you know, so far I've spoken to people who, you know, been made redundant at various ages and it's a topic you don't see covered in the media very often, but it's affecting a lot of people. Companies are continuously crunching down on their budgets and people are losing their jobs and losing their identities with it. So things like that, things that affect people from day to day. But I think it's also important to add as well that just going back to your question about who's going to read it who do you think is going to read it it's going to be an inclusive space so it doesn't really matter where you're from it doesn't matter about your age there's going to be all your sexual orientation your religion it doesn't matter about any of that you know there's a space for you here and there's going to be features that appeal to everyone i hope maybe that's wishful thinking and maybe as time goes on i'll realize actually i do have a particular type of demographic reading this and i'll be able to you know target that better but for now. I can only go with what my vision is
1: and see how it pans out. Are you soliciting pitches from freelancers?
0: Yep. So I've been speaking with a number of freelancers and saying they've been pitching, people have been pitching lots of great ideas. And there's been some that I've commissioned my budget at the moment, obviously, because it's just from my own earnings right now is, you know, is limited by that. But I hope that come January or February when we're launching, we're going to have corporate sponsors on board and, I've asked certain people to come back to me, you know, let's talk again in December when we're near a launch, and we can you know commission you to write this for us so yeah, there's been lots of really great pictures so far.
1: well, this all sounds really exciting and, and I like the mm-hmm. positive approach to it, and you know mm-hmm. looking you know recognizing that there's a, a sort of a gap in coverage and then and then trying mm-hmm. to adjust to cover that all that stuff yeah. I love and you know I wish you well in Thank your launch, you. which you said is coming in January right.
0: That's the plan. Yeah. So I obviously have to have enough content because I'm doing it myself really alongside, you know, the normal full-time job and being a mom and being a wife and having a life and not losing my mind. So the plan is January. I'm going to try and stick to that <laughs> as best I can.
1: Yeah. You don't need sleep. You don't need
0: <laughs> uh, who needs sleep, right? When you have a kid, sleep ends anyway. So I gave up on that a long time ago. <laughs> okay.
1: Well, Punta, thanks for coming on the podcast. I wish you luck with this and, and we'll check in with you uh, after the new year. Thank
0: you. That would be great. And if anybody wants to sign up and subscribe to get some exclusive updates on the launch and who we might be talking to and the topics that we might be covering, you know you can just pop on the website, lacunavoices.com and subscribe. You can also find us on social media. The conversation's already, already going, so it'd be nice to have them.
1: Excellent. Like I said, good luck. Thank you so much, Michael. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, why not sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter? You'll get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe. We also just posted the results of our online survey about journalism resources. Check out what tools some of our readers are using to make good journalism. Everyone who took our survey received a free It's All Journalism mug. If you'd like to score a mug of your own, take one of our surveys. Go to itsalljournalism.com to learn more. It takes a lot of people to create an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicole Grisco produced this episode. Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Dupre wrote our theme music. Emilio Brust helped with our booking. Nicholas Hunter provided a web assist. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. It's All Journalism is produced in partnership with the Association of Alternative News Media. Thanks for listening.